One, two, three, four. Hey, good morning. All right, I'm going to need you to make a big sound on you sing this morning. So you'll have to stand so you can get a big breath. Hopefully these are uh, well-known songs to you. Let's go. I'm casting my cares aside. I'm leaving my past behind. I'm setting my heart and minds in yours, Jesus. I'm reaching my hands to yours, believing there's so much more. Knowing that all you have in store for me is good, is good. Today is the day you have made. I rejoice and be glad in it. Today is the day you have made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I won't worry about tomorrow. Trusting in what you say, today is a day, today is a day, all right, come on now, I'm putting my fears aside, I'm leaving my doubts behind, I'm giving hopes and dreams to you, Jesus, I'm reaching my hands to yours, Believing there's so much more Knowing that all you have in store for me Is good, is good Today is the day you have made I will rejoice and be glad in it Today is the day you have made I will rejoice and be glad in it I won't worry about tomorrow, trusting in what you say. The day is the day. The day is the day. All right, sing after me now. Sing, I will stand upon your truth. Go. Yeah. And all my days I live for you. All right, take it up a notch. And I will stand before your truth. And all my days I live for you. And all my Today is the day you have made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Today is the day you have made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Yeah. I won't worry about tomorrow Giving you my fears and sorrow Where you lead me, I will follow Trusting in what you say The day is a day Yeah, the day is a day Which day is it? I can't hear you Today Yeah Amen. We got a great God, don't we? We stand and lift up our hands for the joy of the Lord. 
our strength We bow down and worship Him now How great, how awesome is He Together we sing Holy is the Lord God Almighty The earth is filled with His glory Holy is the Lord God Almighty The earth is filled with His glory The earth is filled with His glory Sing it out, we stand We stand and lift up our hands For the joy of the Lord is our strength We bow down and worship Him now How great, how awesome is He Together we sing Everyone sing Holy is the Lord God Almighty The earth is filled with His glory Holy is the Lord God Almighty The earth is filled with His glory the earth is filled with His glory. It is rising up all around. It's the anthem of the Lord's renown. It is rising up all around. It's the anthem of the Lord's renown. Together we sing. God, all that I am and find my heart on the altar again. Set me on fire, set me on fire. Say, go, I have in these hands and multiply. God, all that I am and find my heart on the altar again set me on fire set me on fire here i am god arms wide Strong to the end, 
cares for me, you won't forsake me. You will be with me. Here I am, God, arms wide open. Pouring out my life, gracefully broken. Yeah. Here I am, God, arms wide open. Pouring my heart gracefully broken all to Jesus now all to Jesus now holding nothing back holding nothing back I surrender, I surrender, I surrender, I surrender, here I am, God, arms wide God, we thank you for being the, the holy God that you are. Father, anoint this time as we lift up our hands for you and praise you and sing to you. May you be blessed by what you see and what you hear. May you be praised and glorified today. In Jesus Christ's holy name, amen. Hey, have a seat just for a moment. We're gonna keep singing here, but uh, I wanted to kind of uh, do a reset. So much of our um, society is built on consumerism. We go to a restaurant, we're seated, right? We go to a movie, we're entertained, and we have expectations when we come into these different venues of how is this going to appeal to me or please please me, am I gonna get my money's worth, you know, what's, what's in it for me type of a mentality. But I gotta tell you that these doors here are the exact opposite of that. We should be, and I'm guilty of this almost every weekend of not doing this, but we should be walking in and on our hearts is, Lord, how can I minister to you? How can I glorify you? today corporately with my brothers and sisters. So I know that there are times when we have a full band and it rocks and there's times when there's just a few of us up here and there's times when the music is more current and there's times when it's a little bit more dated. But I, I gotta um, believe that through God's lens, when he examines our heart, does he see us assessing 
whether we're entertained at church or does he evaluate our level of investment into the offering of worship? So we're just gonna sing um, a couple of classics that are just near and dear to my heart, my journey, and I started probably many years before some of you did in my Christian walk. I was born in a Christian family, raised in a Christian family, and um, gave my uh, heart to Jesus at age seven and kind of renewed that in my teen years, but I've been walking with him a long time, and man, I've made some huge mistakes. It, it doesn't guarantee a perfect life or even a, um, a great life. It guarantees the need to uh, lean on him for every decision, every step of, of your way. But I just know that coming into these doors, I have felt convicted where my heart is in my expectation of worship and the message, and I walk out evaluating, hmm, is this... Where I do I want to come here next week, or you know, and I've just really been convicted by that. So I wanted to share that with you. It's more of a message for me than it is for you, but I have a feeling that it might um, um, fit where you are as well, some of you. So I'm going to leave it to you, whether you stand or you sit in these next few minutes as we worship. I really want you to dive into the words and let them be the meaning of your heart as you pour out your heart to our Lord and Savior. Jesus, I surrender all to Him. I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence. Turning back, 
cross before me, the world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back, no turning back, and I surrender all, and I surrender all, and all to Thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all, and I surrender all, and I surrender all, all to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender.
some prayer for two specific things, the fires that are going on and for what's happening in Afghanistan. And this week I had the privilege of going to a family reunion up in Gray Eagle. You know where Gray Eagle is? So it was about 50 miles south of Greenville, the town that burned down. And we were in these, these cabins along a golf course, about 25, 30 of us. And, um, there was families in these cabins that had lost their homes in the Greenville fire. So it wasn't just, it wasn't any longer a, a, a thing in the news. I was talking to people who lost everything. And then my, um, my nephew, who was a Marine, was there and he had served in Afghanistan. And so it was an interesting combination of emotions. Um, and so this is one of those times where that there's certain things in life you have control over, not many. There's certain things in life we have influence over. More than we have control, we have influence. And it seems in these two cases, these fires in Afghanistan, we seem to have neither from a human perspective, but we serve the God who does. So let's, let's pray about these things. One directly affects us and one directly affects the world. So, and not as an act of, of show or, or false pious, I'm gonna get on my knees. If you wanna join me on your knees, please do. Father, you know all things, Lord. And you're, um, we come to you, Lord, as the almighty God. The one that knows all things has power to do all that you desire to do, Lord. And as your children, you ask us to come to you and ask. And your word says we have because we don't have. We have not because we ask not. We're coming, Lord, and we think our motives are correct here, Lord. But we pray for our own country in these fires with, with homes, people losing everything, Father. And they're out of control. And I, I read an article, Lord, you know this, that says these fires might continue to December. And um, so, Lord, we ask for your mercy on our country in this area. We ask for rain, lots of rain, Father. Please put these fires out. Give great, give great wisdom and courage to the firefighters and the government people who control these things, Father. Intervene. We can do nothing. Um, and forgive me, Lord, for my bad attitude about having smoke in my neighborhood where people are losing their homes. So uh, thank you for the people I met this weekend um, to remind me of, of how blessed we are here. So, Lord, we give that to you. And regarding Afghanistan, Lord, I pray again for wisdom, for our leaders to make decisions that are good for everybody and courage to carry it out. And, Lord, as I read the headlines, and I, I know that I'm biased and I have my issues, um, but from my perspective, Lord, this is a disaster. I ask you to intervene there, Father. Intervene for the people, the, the, the innocent people being hurt. Um, not just the Americans, but people from all over the world that are in Afghanistan, Lord, that they're full of fear now and terror. 
because of the Taliban and ISIS and Al-Qaeda, and I don't even understand all those things, Father, but protect them. And, and Lord, my limited wisdom, my limited love for those people, I say take them out, the evil people. But Father, as other people have prayed, I've heard them change their hearts, open these people's eyes to Jesus glory of what it means to follow your son as we just sang about. Um, that seems from my faith perspective, Father, a stretch. But from you, all things are possible. So we give this to you, Lord. Um, keep this ever heavy on our heart to pray regularly for the situation in Afghanistan. Thank you, Lord, that you hear our prayers. You want, it, you want us to pray to you. And your word says that you do abundantly beyond all we ask or think. We're excited to see how you respond. Thank you. And all God's people said, amen. This church has a, a fairly brisk missions program that we're making brisker. Is brisker a word? It is now? Yeah, brisket. Well, I'm not talking about brisket, Gene. Um, but we have a couple of our missionaries with us today from Kids International from Peru. And I want to invite Steve Lewis up first and then Dan Anderson to come in a minute to give an update of what's happening in the ministry that your giving supports. So this is Steve Lewis, and he'll tell you um, who he is. And um, bless us, brother. Thank you. Hello. Uh, thank you uh, for the warm welcome. It's good to be back. Uh, my name is Steve Lewis. I'm here with Dan Anderson, who you just heard is the Country Kids Alive Peru. Um, my area of ministry with Kids Alive is connecting uh, the work that's being done in the field overseas with partners here. And um, for me, part of that privilege has been coming here uh, and visiting Cornerstone since 2017. Um, some of you might have known of something that happened last year, a little speed bump that kept a lot of us home. And that kept Dan and I uh, home as well. And uh, it's, it's been a long time, but it's good to be back. And I think uh, for me, my job is travel and is connecting uh, God's work with God's people. And the big silver lining, and maybe with a bunch of you as well, the big sil silver lining for me was I was home with my son. I was home with Leon, Leon's three and a half. After 15 years of marriage and, and miscarriages, uh, the Lord gave us, in our mid-40s, gave us this wonderful little guy. Uh, and uh, that entire year last year, I would have been on the road a lot. And instead, I was with my wife, Jen, and I was with Leon. And the thing that really stood out to me from spending that much time with somebody from two and a half to three and a half, with his mom and with me, was how much of the kingdom, when Christ said, the kingdom is here, like I'm here. There's some of it that's not yet, but it's here. Like God's kingdom is in the peace, love, joy, and hope of a three-year-old. It is, especially a three-year-old. And God's kingdom is even more manifest when that three-year-old is living in the structure that God designed for us in a family. And how powerfully they, their image of God, this three-year-old's image of God as a father, when the kid has a family, and what it means to be part of the family of God, the way God expresses that is incredible. And I'm so thankful 
um, for that opportunity, even though it's great. It's great to be out and seeing people. We all agree about that part as well. That was a real blessing from last year. Um, I've also, I came to Kids Alive through going to Peru, uh, took 13 teams to Peru, and during all of this, I was thinking about our kids. I was thinking about our kids in Peru that don't have anything like the family that Leon has. And uh, there's some incredible things God does. God makes beautiful things out of ugly things. He makes beautiful things out of dust and puts things back together. And Dan's just going to come share a couple stories from Peru. One of the kids in one of the stories I've been privileged to know and watch grow up over the years. And now he has an amazing, uh, amazing conclusion to this part of his story. So here's Dan. Thanks. Thanks, Steve. I just asked Steve this morning if he would share that, poor guy. I uh, gave him no, no warning, but as I've been talking to Steve the last couple of days, as we've been together, it impressed on me as he was talking about his son and the joy that he and his wife have had in the, this last year in raising their child made me think about the kids we work with in Kids Alive Peru. And like Steve said, um, some, of the the, some of what I'm gonna share with you this morning is ugly. But God can turn all things for good for those who love him, and he does so all of the time. So I hope these two stories that I want to share with you bless you this morning. Um, but I'm going to start by sharing a little bit about who we are just to remind you. So Kids Alive Peru is part of Kids Alive International, or international organization. I have been there with my wife Katie and our four children. We've visited before. Some of you maybe recognize me. We've been there for 10 years, and I'm the country director there, work in the five ministry sites. So real quick, uh, first, well, first I want to start with um, and just share with you something that has crystallized for Kids Alive in the last year, and that is our shared global goals. We have four of them. In everything we do as a ministry, we want to be focusing on these areas. What we want is for the children we work with and for their families to enjoy a vibrant, life-changing relationship with God, to experience emotional and physical well-being, to be equipped for a life of independence and service, and to live life in family and community free of fear and violence. When you talk about what is Kids Alive involved in, everything we do needs to be filtered through one of those four common goals. Uh, we move to the next one. All right, so real quick, I'll, I'll remind you about the ministries. We have five ministry sites in Peru. There, really, we do two things. The first type of ministry we, we run is residential. They're children's homes. We work with children who have lost the safety and security of family. They have come from hard, hard situations. And Kids Alive works through the, what we call the three R's, rescue, redeem, and restore at the bottom. But you recognize those words. It is only God that can truly rescue, redeem, and restore a child. We're very aware of that, but we believe that God has called us to participate with him and to always be listening to his voice and hopefully getting better and better at participating with him in that process. So the first type of ministry is that residential center for children. The first one is in Lima. It is the Juniper Tree Children's Home, and you just saw that. The second one, and that, that's that one right there, we had a, a team come, it was about three years ago, maybe a little longer, and they lived there in the team house and participated with the kids. The Friends of Peru Children's Home is located up in the mountains. And same type of ministry. And the third one is the Orchard Children's Home, uh, which is located in the jungle. Our goal with each one of those three ministries is to rescue these children, but then to work with them. The second, 
the second R, the redeem, is the healing part. It's where we hope those kids, as they are with us, come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, but it's where we work with them, kids who've gone through traumatic experiences and work towards healing. Um, we do work with a lot of children who have been victims. We don't want them to leave us with an identity that is, I am a victim. We want them to leave as more than conquerors, and we believe that's what God has for them. If we move to the next slide, the second type of ministry we had have, like I said, there's five of them. The first three are those children's homes, residential, where we work with children who've lost their families. The last two are family centers. We work in communities where we identify and work with families before they get to that point before their children have lost the safety and security of their family. Our whole goal is to work towards restoration of the family and rescue the child without ever getting to the point where they've lost that family. The first one is the Lighthouse Family Center that's in the jungle uh, region of Peru. And then, and I, I just added this um, one, I'll mention it really briefly, but one of the real huge blessings of this pandemic has been that it forced us out of our ministry site where we used to have huge, um, we used to have programs for large groups of kids. It pushed us out and into their homes. We were no longer able to bring people together for months. Peru was in lockdown. What we were able to do was go and visit people in their homes and get to know mom and dad. And that has influenced how we see, uh, how we will continue to minister to those families uh, into the future. And then finally, the last slide, the fifth ministry is once again in Lima. It's another one of those family centers where we reach out and work with families in the community, working to see families restored before they get to the point where children are separated. Uh, next slide. I wanna share these two stories that I mentioned to you. And hopefully, I, I believe that these represent very well what God is doing, some of the amazing stuff that he's doing. Also what it is that you are supporting as a church as you support Kids Alive Peru. Um, and then I'll come back to the theme of family afterwards. So this young lady, she participated in a program at the Oasis Family Center in Manchai, in Lima, this last year. Uh, last year, she was 16 years old. In the picture, her son is two years old. When she came to the ministry, she had... Um, she had stopped studying because of having her son, because of just being in a really hard situation. She'd stopped um, her studies in um, secondary and uh, high school. She was able to finish those studies with us through um, accelerated classes that we, that we have at the Oasis Family Center. As she went through this year with us um, and participated in a walk through the Bible, she came to know Jesus as her savior. When she came to us, she did not believe in God. She came to the point where she not only believe, believes in him, but came to the point where she wanted to give him her life. We work not only with her and with her son, but with her mother as well, whom she works with. When I asked, um, or, or when at the end of the year, this last year, what her team told me about her is there was a huge difference in her. When she came, she had no vision for the future. She had no hope for the future. It was as if life had ended for her. What she has now is vision, hope, and a whole different expectation. And what I get really excited about, I get excited about that for her, but think about her son. Think about what has changed for him. The one thing I was concerned about last year is that she was, yes, she's a believer, but she was not connected to a church in her community. Since then, we've been able to connect with five churches in that Manchai community who have agreed to partner with us. 
So we have members of those congregations who are serving with us, volunteering. Their whole goal is to get to know families like this one so that when we are done with our year or two of working with these families, they have a connection to God's family, to the local church. Steve talked about what a blessing it is to be family and what, what a, it, it, it's a privilege and it's a blessing that God gives us, uh, that God gives to children too, to be part of a family, safety, security, belonging. She doesn't have all that, but she has that opportunity if the church there in Manchai will come around her. God's family. And so that is increasingly becoming a theme for us. Can we go to the next slide? I want to tell you this story as well. This happened in the jungle. This is where Steve would always go and visit. This is the young man that Steve knew when he was just a little guy. Um, his story starts out really sad, but culminates in something beautiful. When he was three years old, he was taken from his mother. She went into the other room. When she came back, he was gone. Um, she had no contact with him for eight years. In that picture, he's 11 years old, and that's the moment when they came back together. When he was eight years old, he arrived at our children's home in the jungle. He arrived out of a very abusive situation. During his time with us, and as we've been working with him, we responded to one of his needs, to one of the cries of his heart, and of the hearts of all the kids that we work with, and that was for family. Um, we had no success looking for any family members until, of all things, Facebook came to the rescue. His, his psychologist social worker team decided to post on Facebook a, on a page there um, designed to reunite situations like this. And lo and behold, his mother got in contact with us. She had no idea whether he was alive. She had had no contact for eight years, had no idea where he was. Uh, so we started that process of reintegration. That team of two have been working with mom and preparing, and preparing her to receive her son back. That reintegration should be happening soon. Please pray for them. This is a whole process. But that moment right there was when she came back and found the son that she had lost. And what that speaks to me is of a boy who lost everything, safety, security, and he's back in the arms of his mother. Please pray for our team, though, as well, because as they are working with mom, once they are reintegrated, they'll continue to support them, continue to work with them. Her situation is still somewhat precarious, but God has called Kids Alive Peru not just, and this has been impressed on us in the last two, three years, not just to reach out to this young man, um, but rather God has a bigger plan for his family, and there's much more hope than what we personally could des um, design for him. Um, so those two stories, uh, I think they represent pretty well it's just a little bit of what we get excited about. And I wanna thank you very much, Cornerstone, for the way that you have supported that ministry, for the way that you are a part of it. Um, chose this verse, Psalm 68, 6a. God places the lonely in families, he sets the prisoners free and gives them joy. He does, he does do that. Our job is to come alongside him, listen to his voice, and make sure we're ready to respond when he gives us the opportunity to be a part of that. And that's the privilege that Kids Alive Peru has there. It's the privilege that you have as well as you are supporting it. And I really appreciate um, the way you've helped us with that. Steve, would you come back up? 
Barry's the head of our missions committee. Barry and Mary Beth. If Mary Beth's in the room, is she downstairs? Come on up, Mary Beth. I just want to pray for these guys. Um, I'll get on this side. Come on up, Mary Beth. There's a statement that was impressed upon me years ago as I was looking to do something that I had no ability to accomplish. It was one of those things of, of God, I'm going to step into this, but if you don't show up, this will fail. And that's what these guys do every day. And they step into things that if God doesn't show up, it fails. And God shows up mightily. So let's just thank God for that. Lord, we thank you that you step in for the hurting, for the helpless. In your love for children, Father, and you've put that love on these two men and their families and multiple more people down in Peru to love those children who are, are not safe. They're abused. They're hungry. They have no shelter. And you're providing that, Father, hands-on through the team there and through your people worldwide who give. Thank you, God, for us being a part of this. Thank you, God, for these families who commit their lives. They give up great futures or what we perceive are great futures in this country to go serve the underprivileged. Thank you, Lord. Bless them mightily. Keep them safe. Give them great wisdom and courage once again that we all need, Lord, to do your will in Peru. Thank you, Father. In Christ's name. Amen. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. If you, um, last week I had mentioned about Paul's passion of the poor. And I said that I believe every Christian should be engaged in helping the poor. I believe every Christian should be engaged in helping a missionary. There's a two for one here. <laughs> I'm not joking. An opportunity for you, if you don't have a missionary you're supporting or an organization that helps the poor, Kids Alive International is well worth your investment. And I don't say this to brag, but Teresa and I regularly, every month, support the Oasis Family Center as a place we believe is doing mighty things in, in families' lives who have minimal things and minimal hope, and they're doing amazing work. So with that, two quick announcements, and then we're getting back to the sermon. We're just getting started, folks. We have baptism this coming Sunday, a week from today, at Burnt Cedar. Be down there. Get there early by 9.30, 10 o'clock. We'll have out on, the, on the, the, what do you call that, the peninsula. We'll have our worship service. And then a baptism in the water that evidently is way out. So we'll figure out how to get out into the water. And so you'll hear more about baptism in a minute in my message. And also... We have those two things I've been telling you about, and you'll hear more about them this coming week in our social media and our website. We have um, Incline Fest, which we will have here on the 18th of September, a great family celebration with a whole parking lot, the whole church property be turned into fun, just to bless our community. And then a week later on Saturday, um, September 25th, Sean McDowell is coming to bring a, a, a conference to us on how to defend our faith to those who don't believe how to present the gospel to people. So keep, you'll hear a lot more about those with visuals coming up this week. So with that, God guide us today in your word for your glory. All this because of your son Jesus. In his name we give you praise. Amen. Well, today we're finishing Romans. Was, it, was that yay or oh? <laughs> I don't know how to interpret that, but it's okay. Um, 
I'm saying yay. I've loved this book of Romans. But I, and I don't mean this as a joke to anybody who has ADD because I think I have it. Um, and I don't mean that, I don't mean, I really mean that. I, I, I get into something, oh, I'm bored, I want to go over here now. We've been here for over a year and I'm excited to finish today and go on to the next thing. But we're going to do a quick review of Romans today. It's, a, it's supposed to be a shortened message. We'll see if that happens. And I've focused in on chapter 6 is what I believe the heart of Romans. Now, now every other interpreter comes to this. You guys who read your Bibles, you say, oh, I think Romans is about this or that. There's an old expression I learned a long time ago. It's called the fate of kings and nations. The fate of kings and nations is reduced to grammar when grammarians study them. You get the point there? The fate of kings and nations is reduced to grammar when grammarians study them. So for me, Romans 6 changed my life. So for me, the whole book of Romans is encapsulated in Romans 6. You may have a different perspective. You teach on it. But today we're going to focus on mine. So here's a review. And by the way, if you need a Bible, the ushers have Bibles in their hands. If you, have a Bible, don't, if you need a Bible, raise your hands. I'll bring you one. So a review of Romans teaching on salvation. First, all of humanity is lost due to sin. Paul spends chapter 1, verse 18, all the way through chapter 3, verse 21, to establish this. Every human being, whether Jew or Gentile, is condemned under sin. And if you remember, we spent several weeks in there, and it got, it got heavy. As we dealt with Paul's, he had to establish this, that all humanity, before God, falls short. In his summary statement, for all fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned, every one of us, Jew and Gentile, no exceptions. Every human. In fact, as we know the whole picture of biblical theology, who's the only human being that never sinned? Jesus Christ. So he came to redeem everyone who has sinned. So, no exceptions. Then he explains to us in chapter 3, verses 22 to 425, the salvation is not by keeping the law. It's not by works. It's not by doing good things. And, and doing good things to the point where you say, God, you owe me now. Look at the list of things I did. Look at the rules I obeyed. You owe me. No. Salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ. And what do we mean by faith? Let me read to you the passage there. I'm going to read Romans 3, 21 to 25 which teaches us these both points. All humans are, are, have fallen into sin, and salvation is not by the law, but it is by faith in Christ. 321. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. So keeping the law didn't bring us righteousness. It's been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God, and this is the idea of the righteousness of God given to you. It's imparted to you where you now have the righteousness of God. This righteousness comes through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And they are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. I've color-coded these things just because it's, it's so much here. In Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he has passed over former sins. Let's stop there. I keep reading. But the idea of a propitiation is this. That Christ is our propitiation. And how many of you people, how many of you have used the word propitiation in last week in a sentence? 
Okay, one, yes. And I want to hear this context of that conversation. It's not a common word. The NIV translates it sacrifice of atonement. The basic idea is the idea of satisfaction. That when I come before God, I say, here's, here's my resume, God. And he goes, not satisfied. Doesn't cut the mustard. But Christ comes before him with his righteousness and his sacrifice of atonement and says, and God says, I'm satisfied. Now I give that to everyone who trusts in you, Jesus. So I like the synonym trust for faith. Our word believe and faith, we use them all the time. And sometimes I think they get watered down to where they've lost some of their, their, their depth of meaning. But the idea of trust. So I ask you today, if you've been coming to this church for years, or if you're visiting today and you've been in church for a long time, or maybe you're here today for the first time in, in ages in church, and if for some reason you find yourself here today, what does it mean to trust in Christ? And what Romans teaches us is that my sin has alienated me from God. It's alienated me. I, I, I've actually been put into this family called the family of Adam, of, of, of rebels, where God said, do A, and I chose B. And when I said, I like the image of a resume. When I bring my resume to God and say, here's my qualifications to get your righteousness. And he says, it fails miserably. But I'll give you my righteousness if you come to me with empty hands, a humble heart, and trust in my son and my son only for what he's done. Then I will give you his righteousness and make you part of my family. And so what trusting in Jesus, believing in Jesus is about is coming to a recognition of who I am before God and that without Christ, I am lost forever. But he has come because of his great love for me, died on the cross, took my sin. I was listening to the Gospel of John the other day being read. And it's interesting, in about John 14, 15, Jesus says, all of you will abandon me. All of you will abandon me. But my Father will be with me. Remember what Jesus said on the cross? My God, my God. His father, whether real or perceived, Jesus believed his father forsook him. He was forsaken so you would be accepted. He took the sin, your sin, so he could be, give us his righteousness. All by faith, by trusting in him and him alone. So, this redemption in Christ, this propitiation secures many things. And forgiveness is front and center. This is where we want to start today. Forgiveness is front and center. And what is forgiveness? Let me give you a definition of forgiveness, um, or, or multiple definitions here. I want you to think of a, a chalkboard, and you completely wipe it clean. So to, right now, run through a half a dozen of your sins against God or sins against your spouse, or sins against your neighbor, or, or sins against the government, whatever. Run them through your head right now. Write them on that mental chalkboard. And for those things, Christ died. And when you come to Christ and you say, I got nothing, what I have is utter failure, will you save me? It says that he wipes that completely clean, toward it completely gone, all the offenses you've committed against God are wiped clean. 
1 John 1, 9 says, if you confess your sins, he is righteous and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. There's a sense where our sins bring filth to us, but God cleanses us of that. Your shame and your guilt are removed. If you've come to faith in Jesus and you still have this shame and guilt that gnaws at you, with that voice that says, you're a loser, you don't deserve it, that's not, the, that's not God. That's the evil one. Or that's your, 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 your evil conscience. Shame and guilt is removed because Christ paid for it. Redemption leads to forgiveness, which leads to reconciliation. We are reconciled to God. It said before we were his enemies, that he made us his family members. Romans 5.1, having been justified by faith, you have peace with God. And that peace is not referring to an emotional, oh, I feel good today. It's referring to the fact there's no more enmity between God and I. We have been reconciled because of Christ. This is an amazing thing. If we stop there, we'd say this is an amazing gospel. But wait, there's more. Had to get the commercial thing in there. This salvation brings a new identity. See, if it was just forgiveness but left me as the same old person, I, I would say, oh, I'm forgiven, but my life still is full of failure. But now I have a new identity. If you read Romans 5 through 8, it says this, you used to be in Adam, dead in your sins, but now you're in Christ, made alive. You are now children of God. Romans 8 tells us. It says you've received the spirit of adoption. The Holy Spirit lives in you, has adopted you, and made you a child of God. And the result is you are a fellow heir with Christ. I want you to think about that. All that Christ gets as the Son of God, you get. You are fellow heirs with Christ. How much of it did you earn? None of it. That's the beauty. God, Ephesians use great language. Ephesians use God lavished it upon you. I just love that word lavished. Because I don't use that word very often either. But it's the imagery of something that, you know, you pour a little bit on something, as opposed to you just dump it and dump it and dump it. And it's just flowing over you. It's lavished upon you. The grace of God that has caused you to be born again, made you his child, given you his spirit, and now you are fellow heirs with Christ. An amazing truth. Unfathomable gospel. Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. That is what God has given you. I couldn't have even thought this up. And what he's done for me is abundantly way beyond more than I could ask or even think of. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, the next point. The heart of Romans is living a new life. This is where I want to look at Scripture, Romans 6 now. See, this idea of a new life, here's the paradox. God brought life out of death. How often does death result in life for you? So to us, death is a horrible thing. But Christ's death made you alive. So let's look at Romans 6, 1 through 6. And we're going to read ultimately 6, 1 through, or chapter 6, 1 through 14. But let's just start, first of all, with this new life equips us for righteous living. Look at Romans 6, 1 through 6, and how this new life equips us for, Rome, 
righteous living. What shall we say then? Or do we continue in sin that grace may abound? That's Paul asking a question that chapter 5 ends with. If grace, if there's more grace than sin, so if where my sin abounds, grace abounds all the more, here's the solution. To get more grace, I should sin more. Then I'll get more grace. And Paul says, no. Shall we say then, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. I'm going to talk in a moment about baptism from this passage, what Paul's talking about. But I want you to see this imagery here of baptism, that is being buried with Christ and raised with Christ, has a a daily practical consequence in your life. You walk a new life. You're made alive. You live differently. This is the importance of understanding your salvation isn't simply forgiveness. As glorious as forgiveness is, I've been forgiven of some horrible things. As glorious as that forgiveness is, the idea that I've been made alive to live differently and been empowered to do so is an amazing truth. And I wonder sometimes as Christians, if we stop at forgiveness and say, I'm so glad I'm forgiven because I fail miserably all the time because I'm still a slave to sin. We're going to see that's not true. You're not a slave to sin anymore. That's why Romans 6 changed my life. Verse 5, for if we have been united with him in in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we no longer be enslaved to sin. Something very mystical but real happened at the cross. 2,000 years ago when Christ was brutally murdered on the cross, somehow in God's economy, you were there with him. And when he was crucified, you were crucified. When he was burying the ground, you were burying the ground. And when he was raised from the dead, you were raised from the dead to walk a new life. Several books of the Bible explain this to us, but Romans to me is the clearest. So this idea here equips us for righteous living, but Romans 7 to 14 takes it further. Let's keep reading here. Romans 7 to 14. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Therefore, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The King James uses the word, reckon yourselves dead to sin. That's another good word we never use anymore. Reckon yourself dead to sin. You've got to say, hey, why, why am I letting sin control me? I'm dead to it. It has no power over me. I've got to reckon myself, consider myself dead to sin, but I'm alive to God in Christ Jesus. And he goes on to apply this now. Therefore, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. 
Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. When it says there, present your members as instruments of righteousness, the word instruments could also be weapon. So you are an instrument in God's hand. A weapon for righteous good, righteousness, good purposes. And we present ourselves. And, and here, here's, well, let me go to the next section and so I can bring this together. I want you to see that sin is no longer your master. Because I wonder if we really believe this. Um, I don't know when I learned this. I became a Christian in 1979. And the glory of being forgiven by God for the things I did as, as a, a young man um, was overwhelming. I remember, I remember sitting on a rock up in the hills above Galena. A bunch of us had just come to faith in Christ were sitting up there. And the realization hit me and I just wept. Wept that God had forgiven me. But somehow, I was not taught the truths here that sin is no longer my master. And I found myself in these patterns of constantly going back to the trough of sin. And it talks about the pig, once being cleansed, goes back and rolls in the mud. And the, the other disgusting imagery of the dog returns to his vomit. And I was returning time and time again. And frustration kicked in. God, this, the Bible tells me to be ye holy as I am holy. You said it, but I don't think I can do that. Because I had a belief that I was taught, you're forgiven, but you're still a slave. Just make sure you repent every time you sin. Which, by the way, is good advice. But I'd suggest to you, it's, it's much more glorious than this. So please listen carefully. If you have a life now where repetition of continuing to go back to the trough of sin, and you sense you have no power, that you have to go back, I want to tell you it's a lie. It's a lie of the evil one. Seven times in Romans chapter 6, it says sin is not your master and you don't have to obey it. I'm going to run through these. Let these sink in. Let these sink in so deep because I, I had read two books back in the mid-80s mid um, that, that brought these out to me and opened my eyes to Romans 6. Romans 6, 6 and 7. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Have you died? Physically, biologically, are you dead? But did you die? With Jesus, you died. And dying with him, you were set free from sin. 11 and 12. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is, a, this is a mental, active thing I must do. I am dead to that sin. I don't have to obey it anymore. And I am alive to God and I present myself to him as an instrument in his hand for righteous ends. Verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Verse 14, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Verse 18, and having been set free from sin, having become, have become slaves of righteousness. So this is where, this is where, when I did this sermon, I actually played the song by Bob Dylan, you gotta serve somebody. 
It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. We put the video on YouTube. It was taken down within an hour because I broke copyright laws by playing Bob Dylan's song. I thought it was a brilliant sermon and no one got to hear it. Here's the point. You're a slave. Are you a slave to sin? Or are you a slave of God? But you're going to serve somebody. You've been empowered to serve God. But we seem to go back to the cruel master and keep serving it. 22 and 23, how the chapter ends. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification, or the word holiness, and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So to me, that's the heart of Romans. It changed my life. I, I don't teach sinless perfectionism, the idea that you rise up above sin in this life where you're no longer tempted to sin. But I firmly believe this, and I think I can show you biblically, that every time, I call it the Mack truck. If you, if you guys are my age, you know one of the, now they have Peterbilt and all those things. They used to have Mack trucks. Remember Mack trucks, anybody? Okay, you old people. If that Mack truck's coming down the road, you're standing in the middle of the highway, and that Mack truck is temptation. There was a time in several years of my early Christian life that I believed I could not get out of the way. That I would give in to that temptation, get run over by the truck, then get up and say, God, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And will God forgive you when you ask forgiveness? Time and time again. That's because he's gracious and patient. But salvation is so much more than being forgiven. It is being empowered to get out of the way of the truck. I don't have to stand in front of it, ever. Every day that truck comes at me, every day I have a choice. I have a choice, do I stand in front of that truck or do I get out of the way? Do I present myself to that truck to sin or do I get out of the way and say, God, I'm yours, alive from the dead to serve your righteous purposes. Use me, God. Now that's, that's external temptations. What about the internal ones that come from my character that's not fully Christ-like yet? Because a lot of my, my sins are because I have false beliefs, false motives, selfish motives. Well, once God shows those to me, what does Romans 12:1 tell me to do with them? Come on, help me out here. I present my body as a living sacrifice and renew my mind. Once I see I have false beliefs that are leading me down that road, I've got the power to renew my mind through his word, his spirit, and the people of God. So folks, there's liberation because of what's taught in the book of Romans. If, if you find yourself a slave to sin, and you've gone back and forth, back and back and back, and you just feel hopeless, please call me. And let's talk about this. Often the reason you're stuck in it is because you won't go talk to somebody about it. There is freedom in walking with Jesus. I do not believe in perfectionism. I have to ask forgiveness regularly. But I'm amazed from when I was in my first five, six years of Christian life to today of the victory that God has given me. That is my right as a child of God. As an heir, this sin is not my master. 
That's part of my inheritance. I've been delivered already from the penalty of sin. You're forgiven, amen? I've been delivered from the power of sin. It's no longer my master. At the resurrection, I'll be delivered from the presence of sin. Until that day, I will have to fight it every day, every moment of every day. Not only in waking hours, but sometimes in my dreams. And you know what I'm talking about there. The renewed mind. So, with that, next week's baptism. This passage mentioned baptism. I want to talk about the role of baptism. In Christian history, baptism has multiple different interpretations. And Christians, Christians have killed each other over these disagreements. Are you aware of that? The Anabaptists during the Reformation were killed by the Reformers because the Anabaptists wanted to rebaptize people after they believed. And the Reformers said, no, 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 your, your infant baptism was enough. And they, they not just didn't have a good, healthy dialogue or argument, they killed each other over it. It's nuts. But if you come from different traditions, you know, that, that you know there's different opinions and beliefs on the practice of baptism, whether it's infant baptism or, or what's called believer's baptism, you believe then you're baptized, which is what this church practices, whether it is by immersion, pouring water, sprinkling, all these things we've fought over a lot, and it's important to dialogue on them. It's important to search the scriptures. It's not one of those doctrines that, oh, it doesn't matter what you believe. I think it does matter. But let's make sure we treat each other with the grace and kindness that God treats us with as we discuss our differences. But here in this chapter, I want to present what we believe here. Listen to Romans 6, 3, and 4 again. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Paul here is associating your baptism with what's called your regeneration. Regeneration is a fancy word for born again. Something happened to you. You, be, you were dead, you became alive, you were born again. Paul is using baptism is so closely associated with that, if this is all we had, it would look like that I have to be baptized in order to be saved. I have to be baptized in order to be regenerated. That's called baptismal regeneration. You can believe all you want, but if you don't get baptized, you're not saved. That's that doctrine. I disagree with that doctrine. I don't believe baptism is the means by which God regenerates me. But this passage here is very, it connects it so closely it's hard to separate it. But just before I explain why it's so closely associated, I want to show you another passage to show you that baptism, Paul separates baptism from getting saved. So I want to show you that, and it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The Corinthians were very divided. They had decided they were going to pick their favorite leaders, Apollos, Peter, Paul, and follow them and create division in the church. Today we call it denominations. That was a little bit snarky, but it was also serious. Um, Paul says, I'm dropping in verse 12. What I mean is this. Each of you says, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas, which is Peter's Hebrew name. Or I follow Christ. Those are the spiritual ones. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? He's trying to make the point, you're all one family. Why are you dividing? 
Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that none of you may say you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. Here it is. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So here Paul separates baptism from the gospel. What is the gospel? It's the good news to get saved. Paul did, God didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. But yet, in Philippians chapter 16, Paul's in jail, earthquake happens, Paul's chains break, the Philippian jailer thinks that they've all escaped, he's going to kill himself, Paul says, don't kill yourself, we're all here, and, he's, and the jailer says, men, how do I get saved? Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you and your household, and you shall be saved. Then you know what Paul does next? Baptize him, baptizes him in the middle of the night. So we take these two passages, Romans 6, where Paul uses baptism as an inseparable image of getting regenerated, born again, coming alive. But 1 Corinthians 1, where it's clear baptism isn't what makes me alive, Paul separates it from the gospel. You with me? But the Philippian jailer is baptized immediately. In fact, everyone in the New Testament is baptized immediately. They don't have a five-year waiting period where they put a class on. And I make fun of that, but that's what we do. We've now made baptism as, we've actually called it a public presentation of your faith. That's the purpose of it. And I would say to you, that's a minor purpose of it. The major purpose of baptism, back to Romans 6, is it a genuinely experiential, inseparable experience of your salvation it's not the means of your salvation, but it is an experiential, inseparable experience that should go with your salvation. That when Jesus Christ died on the cross, you died. We bury you. And when Christ was raised from the dead, we bring you back up. And I will say to those of you getting baptized this Sunday, you are buried in the likeness of his death and raised in the likeness of his resurrection to walk a new life. We have rites of passage in our world. As Americans, we've gotten rid of most of them. But baptism is this rite of passage. As I've said, I'm going to follow Jesus, okay, then you need to be baptized. And that baptism is deeply symbolic, but it's a real experience of an association and identity I have with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. And it should not be skipped or put aside as unimportant. And that's what we have done with baptism, made it unimportant. And it needs to be core to the gospel presentation, but never believe the baptism saved you. I've had, I've had grandmas, if you're, in, grandma, if you're in the room today, it's always grandmas, call me and say, my grandkids are with me for the summer, would you baptize them so I know they go to heaven? Because my kids don't believe. I said, well, I'm not gonna be part of your little nefarious plan here against your kids. But because I baptize them doesn't mean they're saved. It's a personal faith in Jesus that brings that faith or that salvation and regeneration. But that baptism now solidifies that. So, baptism is a sign 
that signifies death to the old life and being reborn to a new way of life. We're doing a baptism this Sunday. We have about 12 people signed up so far. The most since I've been here. I would love to see those of you who, and and here's my belief, many of you were baptized as infants, and I never want to disrespect those churches um, and, and the purpose of that baptism for those churches. As I look at scripture, though, it's always believe and be baptized. Believe and be baptized. Baptism follows believing. And I would encourage you to think about it this week and pray about it, about whether it's time to be baptized as a follower of Jesus if you have not been, as opposed to before you've even understood anything as a child. Um, There's a sign-up sheet out on the counter to the left. I called all of you who were being baptized last night, or texted you or called you, that you signed up for. And I suggested to you Thursday at six o'clock we would have a baptism class. I got all done. I went over to Barry and Mary Beth's house for dinner with our Dan and Steve. And Barry mentions a a previous commitment we all have on Thursday night at six o'clock. So I was told this morning, why don't you check the church calendar before you do these things? So I'm gonna recontact all of you. And some people couldn't come Thursday, so I probably can do this. I'm gonna probably do two Zoom classes. It's one hour long, we'll explain what we're doing in baptism. So all of you that I called, I'm calling you again, and I apologize for that. But if you have a sense where God is saying, you know what, time to get baptized, please sign up. It's gonna be a glorious party next Sunday. Let me read to you back to Romans. That was a little, little jumping aside. Here's my summary. Salvation starts with the glorious truth that you have been forgiven and reconciled with your God through the death of his son. You now have peace with God. But salvation continues with the amazing, over-the-top truth that you are a new creature in Christ. You have died, you were buried, and you were raised to live a new, glorious, holy life in victory over sin. Now your salvation has put you into a new family where love motivates each of us to serve one another as more important than ourselves. That, to me, is a nutshell of Romans. I could have said that a year ago. We could have moved on. (laughs) I'm going to read it again, then we're going to pray. Salvation starts with the glorious truth that you have been forgiven and reconciled with your God through the death of his Son. You now have peace with God. But salvation continues with the amazing, over-the-top truth that you are a new creature in Christ. You have died, you were buried, and you were raised to live a new, glorious, holy life in victory over sin. Now your salvation has put you into a new family, right here, where love motivates each of us to serve one another as more important than ourselves, which is Romans 12 through 15. Father, we thank you for your word. And for this last year, we thank you for the book of Romans. God, give us a passion to pursue you through your word. Give us a passion to be led by your spirit in serving one another in this new life that we have, this new life that the sin is no longer our master. You have taken us out of that realm and put us into your beloved son and given us a new life. 
Help us to truly believe that and declare it and proclaim it as true every day when that Mack truck comes down the road. I don't have to stand in the way. What an amazing truth, Father. So if we are a family, Father, help us to be honest with each other, to confess our sins to one another and gain strength by encouraging one another so that in the end, you were glorified in every one of our lives. Thank you. These things we give you praise in Christ's name. Because of him, we can pray to you. And everyone said, amen. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow turning back, no turning back, the world behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me, the cross before me. Turning back, no turning back, and I surrender all. I surrender all, and all to Thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. Oh, sing it out. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender. today. Go out and serve the Lord. This week, we'll see you next Sunday.